I think that's something that we, as the American people, have really gotten away from, is what is the responsibility of the government? And the government is there to govern responsibly based on a moral code. That moral code is a Christian moral code here in the United States. It's what has driven our nation to the great heights that it has. And part of that moral code is that we do not allow for that which we believe is morally repugnant. Good morning, Idaho. Welcome to the local Yokel Idaho podcast, where we talk about what is going on in the wonderful state of Idaho. For those tuning in for the first time, we like to have a little banter before we get into the stories. But I understand if you're short on time, you can skip the banter and jump straight to the stories using the timestamp that is in the description. For those that stayed, welcome. Glad to have you here this week. Hopefully you had a wonderful one. I know for all of us down in the valley here in the Treasure Valley, it's been really nice with all the warm weather we've been having. I know when I went out for a walk, I was almost sweating. I'm like, is it springtime or not? It was wonderful. It was glorious. But then for all of our fellow Idahoans that are up north, it also looks like you guys are getting a bunch of snow, or at least McCall. I looked at the weather report this week, and I think we've had a couple days of five inches, two inches, three inches, which, you know, I like the snow. Then again, I haven't grown up in that, so I can't say I have firsthand experience of that much snow, but hopefully you're either enjoying it or living through it. But before we go any further, I want to introduce John, who is co-hosting with me again this week. I am here once again, Tyler. And yeah, weather's been really nice around here, although all of my work is inside, so I don't typically get to go outside and enjoy it. But I know my family was all outside having a great time yesterday playing nice. out in the in the sun. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a good thing. And I know they're they're out today. I think they're out in the either by the in the foothills or they're at the Ooh, river nice. somewhere. Yeah, I, I I can totally feel you there where there's been a couple of days this week where I've been working either on podcast work or other different things that help pay for the podcast. And I'm looking out the window just like, I wanna go. I want to go outside. <laughs> Let me be free. Let me go out to the sun. And I want to garden and I want to trim my grapes and I want to work on the fruit trees. And no, I, I need to research, which don't get me wrong. I love doing it for you guys. But it's one of those weeks where the weather is very alluring. Yep. Yep. But that's OK. That's a that's a thing that happens. Yes. You, you have to be disciplined. That's where that comes in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is a skill that um, I wouldn't say I am a master at at all, but I am slowly trying to develop more of it because uh, it's rare to not have enough of it. And uh, uh, touching on last week, we reached out and kind of for those listening to Mantra will remember getting your guys' thoughts on some new formats for the main show. Basically, I haven't heard any feedback from anyone, so I am getting the guessing I have the green light from you guys. <laughs> so this next week we'll be working on that new format. Um, it might be a little bumpy of a release next week, but we'll see how it all goes. And then on another thing I wanted to briefly bring up in the banter, because I, I could have made a story out of it, but I didn't want to. I wanted it just to be something brief for us to kind of introduce before we got into the show, which is the whole caucus thing that is happening. Where's my... Th oh, yeah. Uh, March 2nd, um, Saturday from 12 p.m. And then up north, it's going to be 11 a.m. If I remember correctly, it's kind of like a whole event that you go in and then you're going to hear presentations from each one of the different candidates that's running and stuff. Um, and then you vote. And on that note, similarly, it does matter. I know some people don't you know, like, OK, the, the result is already decided, but those numbers still do have an effect down the line. Um, when people are looking at different voting things, if Nikki wants to go for something else, I have no idea who else is on the ballot, but for future things. And so all of it has an effect. And if you have the time to spare on your weekend and you really care about that and want your voice to be heard, I would say do it. Also, it affects down the line if 
you know, the legislature, different people are talking and they are like, hey, should we do a caucus again? Well, they're going to look at those participation numbers. And if those participation numbers are really low, then if you like the idea of a caucus, they may turn around and say, well, look, there weren't very many people that came. Obviously, people could then argue, well, that's because everyone knew what the result was going to be. But welcome to politics. It's better to make a bulletproof <laughs> answer there. So that would be my two cents. Do what you're going to do. But I thought I would let people know about that. But thankfully, for both of our sakes, the news this week is going to be a little bit lighter. As many of you remember last week, it was almost all political stories. But this week, way more relaxing. It's actually not all politics. There's a bunch of really interesting stories. So we'll get straight into it. With that theme of easy, we'll start off with Idaho proposes statewide preemption law for knife regulation. This comes by several sources. In a move that could reshape the landscape of knife regulation in Idaho, Representative Jordan Redman, a Republican from Coeur d'Alene, has introduced a bill aimed at prohibiting local governments from regulating knives. This proposed legislation seeks to extend some preemption law that currently protects firearms from local regulation to also cover knives, asserting that knives are a form of arms protected by the Second amendment. The bill, if passed, would prevent cities, counties, municipal corporations, health districts, or irrigation districts, kind of an odd one there, from enacting their own rules regarding the possession, sale, transfer, or manufacturing of knives. However, it is important to note that the bill would not strip school districts and courthouses of their authority to regulate knives, allowing them to continue to impose restrictions if deemed necessary. Representative Redmond argues that the bill would align Idaho with 13 other states that have enacted similar laws. This legislation aims to create a uniform standard across states, preventing a patchwork of local regulations that could confuse or entrap law-abiding citizens. The bill's introduction marks the beginning of its journey through the legislative process. It is clearly the way for a full public hearing in a legislative committee, after which it must pass the Idaho House of Representatives and the Idaho Senate before reaching Governor Brad Little's desk for final consideration. Which... I don't think this is going to be one of those stories that's contentious for us to talk about today because uh, I would argue that most Idahoans love their guns and by ecto facto, they love their knives. I regularly joke that you can uh, <laughs> you, you can uh, tell when a boy has graduated to being a man in Idaho. He starts off <laughs> starts off with carrying a knife around everywhere and then he graduates to having a gun on him at all times. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, like I remember I, there's been so many different events I've had with friends and stuff. And as high schoolers, you'd be sitting there and someone's like, hey, I need something to help open to some girl or something. And then guys like 26 knives later, like, hello, here you go. <laughs> uh, but then as you, you get older, you get some bigger toys. Yeah, my uh, my son actually just got his first uh, quality knife. His uncle got him. Actually, both nice. of his uncles got him knives. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a thing. What brand? So one of he got a Leatherman. Um, okay, and so that was very exciting. And the other was just a, it was a a folding a folding pocket knife, a, a locking blade. It was a small it was a small one, but it was okay. nice. Um, so he's yeah, going he with the full knife, not a Swiss Army knife type of thing, then, right? That's what he has currently. We'll, okay, uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> the addiction starts young, no? <laughs> well, yeah. It does. I know. I know it did for me. I I enjoyed that as well. My uh, my grandpa died when I was, ooh, I don't know, twelve. And okay. one of the things, and you know, and and Gra uh, Grammy was wanted to gift her grandchildren with stuff, and there were only three of us at the time, so it was easy. And so she was like, "Well, anything of anything of his, just kind of take." And so I took a I took a pocket knife and. 
a, a little Swiss Army knife, and I kept that on me for a long time. So, yeah, no, I uh, I, I agree that uh, that infatuation with knives is a good thing. Right. And I guess kind of coming back to the bill, I don't think we have to discuss it too long, but obviously I think this is a good position to take if you're a person who sits there and says, you know, the right of the people is to bear and have – we'll go very broad here and I'll be very generous uh, – the right to bear defensive weaponry of some kind. I would say that would also include knives. So if you're going to say yes to guns, you're going to say yes to knives. So usually like a lot of things, there's times where legislation just needs to close loopholes and stuff where courts like to wiggle and weasel and lawyers and stuff because, you know, that's kind of that's the game, right? You have the rules and you you play within it. Um, But the main point, the broader point, I think one can derive from this is that you do see in other countries where they've been really, really hard on guns because... I would argue the reason that they're banning the guns isn't as much because of the gun per se, but it's because of an idea that you're trying to get rid of an implement that causes harm and you're not looking at the person, you're looking at the tool. And so, you know, gun is scary, right? Look at that black thing and that muzzle and the bullets and stuff and it's a scary thing, right? So we ban it. But a lot of times you see in those countries that they do that. Uh, I think England and Australia, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I remember reading them. Tons of knife crime. And I think that would be a perfect example of people are going to have weapons and it's far better to let your populace be armed unless you're a totalitarian government to protect themselves and to keep the government kind of on edge and a little bit accountable there. Yeah, well, it's something we talked about even before with in in regard to guns. We talked about it with the arming of teachers, um, voluntary arming of teachers. Um, And I want to make that clear because someone was commenting on that. But yeah, it's a voluntary thing. The way you stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with the gun. Now, a knife is not quite the same because right. that, like, stopping a guy with a knife requires getting in close to him. A little bit of skill, so just a little. The, right. The way you stop a bad guy with a knife is a good guy with a gun. But, you know, I, I feel like the principle probably still holds true is you want to escalate to to the level of your opposition or more. Right. So yeah, no it it makes sense to me to to extend that constitutionally protected right to knives uh, in addition to firearms to make sure that you can't make laws prohibiting those items. And I think the most interesting part about this is going to be seeing how it moves through committee and stuff. I'm expecting it to move pretty efficiently. But like most things, it goes into committee and say there's someone in some field related to it that's really knowledgeable, like, hey, the intent of this bill is really, really great. But if you look here and here, just because it's focused on this area of like Second Amendment rights or something, right, you have someone that's experienced in understanding other parts of law on that specific one. And they turn around and say, well, if you set this precedent here, then it sets it over here. And then that can be used for something you don't like, like abortion or transgenderism or something else, right? I doubt that with this. But there again, committees are very interesting and sometimes can bring some really enlightening ideas. But I wanted to share it and let you guys know, and we'll move on to the next one. Which is a story that a lot of Idahoans here in the Treasure Valley, sorry for everyone up north, this one might not be as relevant, but I know there's a lot of people in the valley that are going to care about this. ITD plans to cut I-84 congestion with new Meridian Auxiliary Lane. This comes by several sources. The Idaho Transportation Department, or ITD, is gearing up for a significant project aimed at reducing traffic congestion along a key section of Interstate I-84 in Meridian, particularly during the morning rush hour. Drivers merging eastbound onto I-84. 
I-84 from Meridian Road have been facing significant delays, with the backup often extending to the intersection of Meridian and Overland Roads. A 2022 traffic analysis by Community Planning Association of Southwest Idaho, or COMPASS, eh, I guess that's a working acronym. Sometimes we read the acronyms on here and they just don't make any sense. They make it worse. Identified this on-ramp as one of the most congested points in the Treasure Valley. To address this issue, ITD has announced plans to construct an additional eastbound lane between Meridian and Eagle Road interchanges. Known as an auxiliary lane, this lane is designed to facilitate smoother transitions for drivers entering and exiting the highway, thereby easing the current bottlenecks. Additionally, the Meridian Road on-ramp and Eagle Road off-ramp will be modified from a single lane to two-lane configurations, with an extra right lane added to the Eagle Road eastbound off-ramp. Construction is slated to begin no earlier than 2025, with ITD committing to keeping all four eastbound lanes open during daytime hours to minimize the disruption. Some overnight closures and detours will be necessary to facilitate the construction process. ITD is currently offering an interactive online slideshow until February 28th, where people can learn more about the project and provide feedback. This project represents a proactive step by ITD to improve traffic flow and enhance safety on one of Idaho's busiest highways. By addressing congestion and the potential for rear-end collisions, ITD aims to create more efficient and safer commuting experiences for Idaho drivers. For context, for all of our more northern-leaning people, you kind of have the main road, uh, the freeway that kind of goes through the Treasure Valley here, I-84. It's kind of that main artery that moves everything. I know you've got that road. John will probably be able to remember it better than me. That Chinden. Chinden. There we go. Yeah. You got Chinden and that's kind of the more northern bit. So you have kind of two main artery roads that run from west to east across the Treasure Valley. Yeah, no, this makes sense to me. It, it makes sense to uh, continue expanding the roads here and, and make everyone's life as, as good as possible. I know I've talked about my experiences in Austin before, and so I'm glad ITD is looking forward to the future trying to fix the current problems to make the future better for our transportation systems here. And I, I think it's, um, you know, for those of us like myself that sometimes, you know, roll our <laughs> roll our eyes and be like, just are we just going to perpetually keep expanding these roads? <laughs> Hopefully yes. there will be an answer down the road of maybe a more efficient way of doing that. But that seems to be the best answer we have. But in this case, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's an area that there's a lot of sticking creates a bottleneck. Let's just add an extra lane going on the, what is that, eastbound side? Yeah. Um, to kind of facilitate that moving a bit quicker and a bit more efficiently um, and things not bogging down quite as bad. But I think overall, this is a really, really exciting thing to see in the Valley. And I didn't have any idea it was coming until I read this article. And I was just like, yes, 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 yes. Let's do this. This is awesome. This is a wonderful idea. So that, you know, when things get bad, I don't have to literally get off the freeway, drive literally, I don't know, a couple miles and then get back on the freeway. Let's just add an extra lane there and make life a little bit nicer for all of us here in the Valley. That makes sense to me. Hey there, since you made it to this, you probably enjoy the show, and that probably means you want to keep up with all things Idaho. So don't forget to hit the subscribe button or follow on YouTube, Rumble, or Twitter. That way you don't miss out on any of our future content about Idaho. Not to mention, if you found our content valuable and think it might benefit others, please like and share it. We have short clips from the show on our YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter accounts, which are perfect for sharing parts of the show that you found important or valuable with friends and family. Whether it's a fascinating political update or an intriguing local story, 
Your shares and likes can help us spread the word about our beautiful state. Also, for our audio-only listeners on platforms like iTunes or Spotify, We'd love to hear your thoughts. Please rate the show and leave us a review. Your feedback helps us a ton and helps improve the show as a whole. Thank you for your support and for being part of the local Yokel Idaho community. Together, hopefully, we can keep Idaho informed, engaged, and involved in this wonderful state. Now, let's dive back into the show for our next story, which we have been playing really nice. Most of the stories have been nice, fun ones. This is the one that's going to sneak on there that's a little bit more of a legislative thing. Idaho Bill seeks to ban public funding of transgender procedures. This comes by KTVB7 by staff. The Idaho legislature is currently considering House Bill 520, which, if passed, would prohibit the use of public funds for transgender medical care, including, quote, gender-affirming, end quote, surgeries and treatments like hormone therapy or puberty blockers. This bill extends the ongoing debate in Idaho over transgenderism and state-funded medical care. Co-sponsored by Representative Julie Young, a Republican from Blackfoot, the bill is a result of years-long conversations. It reflects the opinion of some Idahoans who believe that tax dollars should not be used for immoral medical procedures. During the committee vote, one community member testified that the use of Idaho's tax dollars for such treatments is against their faith and it is seen as, quote, repugnant, end quote. Opponents of the bill argue that they should have the right to use their medical coverage as they see fit. The ACLU of Idaho has criticized the bill as unconstitutional, stating that it restricts access to medically necessary care and would cause unavoidable harm to an already stigmatized community. While sponsors of the bill suggest that it could save the state money, the exact amount is unclear. Critics, including some lawmakers, counter that the potential savings would be offset by the cost of legal challenges that the state may face if the bill becomes law. House Bill 220 is part of a series of bills this legislative session that have focused on LGBTQ plus community, highlighting the ongoing legislative scrutiny of the transgender issue in Idaho. Which I'm not going to go super deep into the moral things of transgenderism because I think we've done that a lot on the show and stated our position. And so I do not want to bore the viewers. So we're not going to focus quite as uh, <laughs> much on that. But the part, I, I, first part I really want to start off with is why the state has the right to say what it wants to do with this money or have a criteria to do it. You know, if we sit there and say, well, no, the state doesn't have a right to say what it can do with, and when it gives people money, taxpayer money, right, it can't have strings attached, which me and John have talked about. It will have strings attached. It will always have strings attached. And making the argument that I think it very much should. The, the, the legislature has a right. You know, if you want to spend your own money and you have that money, then you have full freedom to spend it, right, in that sense, on lawful things and the way that you perceive you want to do that. But that, on the flip side, when you're talking about money, I, I think the state has all right to sit there and be like, no, due to the elected representatives and the way that they're elected, they fully have the right to say where those funds can and can't go. Well, not only do they have the right, I think they have the responsibility. I think that's something that we as the American people have really gotten away from is what is the responsibility of the government? And the government is there to govern responsibly based on a moral code. That moral code is a Christian moral code here in the United States. It's what has driven our nation to the great heights that it has. Right. And part of that moral code is that we do not allow for that which we believe is, to borrow language, morally repugnant. And right. so if the Idaho legislature, the people that we have voted in to govern us, 
if we as an electorate decide that that is a morally repugnant thing and that the government should not spend money on it, well, then it is what it is. And in this discussion, one core part of this that I think is the linchpin here again, I'm not going to go too far down this road. But the argument often made, and I had to do some corrections on the script accordingly, is that the opposing side very regularly wants to argue or set it as, well, this is transgender medical care, which implies that, for instance, that it's necessary care. It is a necessity like heart care or, I don't know, respiratory care or something, that this is how people are born, which... You know, I don't think I'm too far off the farm looking at the rest of human history. Um, male and female, that, that's what we got. And so if if you believe on that premise, then funding-wise, we should be voting and saying no. We, we That's one thing. If you want to spend that money, we can have that discussion down the road if we should allow people to have these surgeries, right, to let doctors do them. Um, but it's... It's another thing when you're saying you want to do it on the taxpayer dime. We as the taxpayers have a say if we feel comfortable with our money going to fund that certain procedure or I would argue that mental confusion that you have. You really need some help on that. But I think the taxpayer has all right to say, no, no, you I, I don't want my money going to fund that for you. You need to do that. And, you know, one of the one of the arguments that's given here, uh, what was it? Uh, opponents argue that it should have the right, the right to use their medical coverage as they see fit. If you are using state Medicaid, you've foregone the right to decide kind of where that coverage goes. It, it's it's meant to be for the needy that it just needs some coverage, right? <laughs> and at that point, uh, beggars can't be choosers. So if you're on Medicaid, if you're on that thing, then yeah, you you don't have the right to decide all aspects of how that coverage works. Now, if you have a private medical provider, I, I could see the ground being made that, cool, you can have more of that discussion. That's its own thing. But in this case, that argument, I feel like, is so, so very weak, and it makes it sound like the government has to always have no strings attached for its Medicaid, but then the left wants tons of string, <laughs> strings attached to other things. And then I guess that brings me to the, the second point I really wanted to make on this, which in Idaho, in a broader sense, this is... I think just a natural progression of the laws that you're seeing our legislature and the people we're electing, right, as John talked about, um, progressing. Last year, we passed a bill, which is currently fighting its way through the courts, saying that you can't do these procedures on minors. Well, what premise does that bill accept? It accepts that the act of doing gender changes is not really great. You're not going to prevent something that's really, really great for minors, Right. If it's the best thing ever, then you want to do it as young as possible for a person in a sense. Right. But with this, that with transgenderism, you can't try to transition or get all those hormone treatments until you turn 18. Well, then you start nudging the ball the other way. Well, if it's not good for 18, then is it really good for adults then? And that, that would be this next nudge going in that logical logical direction with this law. Yeah, I definitely I follow you where you're going with that. And it seems like that's the direction that our legislature is going, is that they're following the science like, oh, so many people <laughs> ask them to do. Because if you look at the numbers on, on transgender surgeries, they don't actually reduce anything. Now, you can say that the studies that are done and the numbers that come out of those studies are not well-founded, and that's okay. You can argue against those studies. But those are the studies that we have. Those are the numbers that we have. It's what we've got. And so far as I'm aware, we try to base our medical decisions based on what information we have. Now, given the, the COVID 
debacle. Uh, we know that <laughs> science is not always followed. Uh, the dollar is what is followed. And so what we do know is that one, gender-affirming care surgeries do not actually help anything, but they do make a whole lot of money for the yep. medical community. So it seems like a bunch of people are being led that direction, not for the betterment of humankind, but for the betterment of someone's pocketbook. Which is not good. And on the one hand, I'm fully going to be an advocate sitting here and advocating for capitalism, right? I, I think it's the best economic system that currently exists to bring the greatest amount of prosperity to all classes. Because whether you like it or not, society's going to have its different hierarchies. Hierarchies are not a bad thing. It's just it's going to happen. But you want to make sure that everyone hopefully in all those hierarchies is doing pretty great. But one of the sad sad disadvantages because every system has a disadvantage with capitalism is its focus on the financial side. And so you're seeing that here. And that's where you also, there again, as we've talked about many times in the show, and I will not get too far on my pulpit, um, need to be involved and in these laws and regulations so that businesses aren't dictating how legislation moves, but you're dictating how legislation moves. Yeah. It, so the term that gets bandied around is that is that uh, government is downstream of culture. And I think this is one of those instances where that is absolutely true. Culture right now is saying that there is no distinction between man and woman and you can be whatever you want. Although it's also saying that you are born into the body you're born into and you can't change that. Not logical statements. Right. None of these statements actually are logically consistent. But th therefore, our government, which is downstream of those logical inconsistencies, our government is also logically inconsistent. So therefore, Teach the question logic is... logic in schools, please. Well, I, so that's that's kind of where I was getting with that is how do we change this? How do we, how do we move the Titanic so we're not headed to that iceberg? Well, it starts with our children. If you have your children in a public school where they're being fed this nonsense, that might be a thing to start with. You you might really need to, to get a handle on where your kids are at, what they're doing, what they're being taught. Right. If you have the means to, I would suggest pulling them out of that public school. Um, I personally think homeschooling is the best way, but there there are a plethora of other options other than the public school system. And to those people who don't have a lot of money, right? And say it is a financial thing, right? And you're le legitimately being like, hey, I'm not spending a bunch of money on the boat and my hobbies and a bunch on trips and stuff. We're just, we're scraping by, man. <laughs> we are, we are scraping by. Then the advice or thing I would give to that person to maybe change or stuff is one, spend time with your children. Obviously, I know you're scraping by, so that probably mm -hmm. means you're really busy, but try to do that. Um, and then secondly, for all its flaws and everything, get involved in the public school system. It does still have a framework that's supposed to be representative in some kind. Go to your school board meetings. Be involved in that. Start making and chipping away at it so that the future generation doesn't have to deal with some of the things that we're dealing with now. And coming to our last story and fun story, which it's kind of hard to pick today. There's a lot of 
really fun, enjoyable ones, but this one kind of close to my heart. Lake Cascade Winter Wonderland, a haven for ice fishermen. This comes by KTVB7 by Jude Binkley and Kara Valentine. While winter sends many anglers indoors, a dedicated group of ice fishermen in Idaho embrace the frozen lakes for some of the best ice fishing in the country. KTVB7's Jude Binkley joined local fishermen and guides Chris Weber and Park Wellner on the Lake Cascade and renowned spot for massive perch. Despite the cold, Weber and Weller ventured onto the ice seven days a week for two and a half months, starting their journey from a northern dock and traversing 12-inch thick ice to set up camp and begin their eight-hour hunt. Lake Cascade, rated as a top ice fishing destination by Fishing Booker, attracts anglers from across the nation, drawn by both the promise of large perch and the relatively relatively mild weather conditions. Weber describes the addiction of the sport, emphasizing the world-class status of Lake Cascade and the sunny, calm weather that creates ideal ice conditions. Even with the favorable climate, ice shacks are recommended for comfort, with temperatures inside reaching up to 70 degrees. The search for a perch is a meticulous process, with Weber advising to find a spot where fish are visible and frequent. Lake Cascade is particularly famous for its large perch, some reaching 15 to 16 inches, dwarfing those found in the Midwest Great Lakes region. The thrill, the catch, the patience, and the escape from the everyday make ice fishing an addictive pursuit. It's a unique experience that combines the serenity of the frozen landscape with the excitement of reeling in trophy fish, creating lasting memories on the ice of Lake Cascade. Which, one point they didn't put in here is that ice fishing is also a really fun communal thing to do. The many times that I've done it with friends and family and stuff, usually the funnest way to do it is to get together with a bunch of a group of people. And then what you do is you get up there, you park at the docks or whatever. And then most of the time, some guy is going to have an ATV in Idaho. And then you have some sleds behind those and you load those up. And then you have like a whole group and you drive out there and you set up like five different tents out in the ice and stuff, which as they alluded to in the article, they get pretty warm. When I've heard people, were you freezing? No, I get in the tent. It's like 80 or 70 degrees. I warm up like that. So you get out there and then most of the time it, as much as I I love fishing, I will fully admit ice fishing for me anyways is one of the more lazy (laughs) type of fishing because what you do is you have this tent that stays at like 70 degrees. So it doesn't matter if a blizzard hits you on the lake, if you have your stakes down well enough more about that later. You can stay plenty warm and then come back out, but then you usually have a food table and everyone's sitting around and you have these things called tip-ups, which it's like a piece of wood and then one end has a flag and then one end has it kind of higher up in the air and then it goes down to the hole. Well, when the fish bites, it pulls that whole contraption, the flag goes up. And so you can tell that a fish has bit the bait there. And so what usually happens when I've gone out with other people is that you kind of communally are all sitting around talking, sitting in chairs, eating food, and then everyone's waiting for one of the flags to go up. And when the flag goes up, first person gets there, gets the fish. So someone who didn't bring any gear can get fish, but then the guy who brought all the gear can get fish. And so it's a fun thing for everyone else to do. And so then there's that moment where everyone's eating and talking and it's great. But then everyone has like half an eye out there on the fish field where you have like a bunch of tip ups and you're waiting for the flag to go off. And then when the flag goes off, it's just a... (laughs) It's a mad stampede dash. of everyone dashing <laughs> to try to get there first so they can get the fish. But that that's one element for me anyways, my personal experience that's been really fun about ice fishing beyond obviously the beauty um, and the serenity that there is up there at Lake Cascade. Yeah. So I know ice fishing was a big thing where I was growing up up in Michigan. Like that's Great just Lakes, the thing that baby. people did. 
And the funniest part is that some guys would have their shacks and they would be built structures that you yeah, then take I've out onto the lake. Yeah. And so people just have their ice shacks. You drive them out onto the lake and they stay out there all year. Uh, oh, gosh. What what movie is it? Uh, Grumpy Old Men with uh, Walter oh, Matthau and uh, Jack, Jack Lemmon. Oh, man, that that movie is incredible. And it's <laughs> so it's set in I think it's Minnesota. OK, um, see, John is our local pop culture specialist here. We, we, we bring you only the top references about pop culture. <laughs> top and different... references. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, OK, I'm grumpy old men is is two old guys that hate each other for no reason other than that they're neighbors. And then there's a there's an old lady that shows up and, you know, she's the old hottie and they both want her. And oh, it's great. It's a great movie. Um, <laughs> oh, my word. It, yeah, it's wonderful. If you've if you've never watched it, you should totally go watch it. It's uh, it's very funny, very wholesome. Um, and it's, you know, it's Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon going at it. But yeah, anyway, the whole reason I got on that was the movie centers around them ice fishing together. Um, nice. And and the shenanigans that happen when your whole town also has a second town that's on the ice. You're like, there's all the men out there. It's it's amazing. The, the marital issues, the fighting, it just goes away in the winter in the Midwest. Why? All the men are on the ice. Women are back at the house. <laughs> right. Right. Or all of those issues just get worse. <laughs> that, that That is also true. If we're, we're stripping aside the humor part, you kind of need to actually solve issues and not sweep them under the rug. I will admit the, the funnest story I have to share about ice fishing as we went up there to go ice fishing and we're doing all this stuff and I'm enjoying it and it's awesome and I can see the mountains and you know it's it's an amazing day but then over to what's that going to be that's going to be in the north to the north you, I was just kind of seeing this white cloud that was at ground level and credit where credit's due it moved very slow but as a kid I was I don't know if the adults were just like hey it's fine or whatever else or no one took me seriously but I was just kind of like what is that? I mean, everyone keeps driving away from that thing. There's like <laughs> snowmobiles, four-wheelers passing our camp and stuff. Like, My brain was like, I know I'm not that old yet, but I- I'm figuring there's a reason for this. Mm-hmm. So anywho, that ended up being my first experience in a blizzard. Um, oh, nice. There you go. But everyone was like, oh, yeah, that's coming. It kind of picked up, and everyone like went into each all of their tents to kind of weather it right or whatever else. And the the funny, two funny parts about it. One, there was a group of guys that did not tie their tent down. And so halfway through the blizzard, I'm looking out the window and I'm like, watching it. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And uh, then their their tent flips over and it's just like, there's the guys and they're in there. And then all of a sudden there's, (laughs) there's no tent anymore. And they're (laughs) running off and you're seeing them fade into the fog, trying to catch back up to grabbing the tent. (laughs) That's probably not good. No, no, it's not. But it was it was hilarious to observe. It ended up working out fine in the end. But on the flip side, the blizzard was actually a really nice blessing because all those tip-ups I talked about earlier, they got frozen to the ice. And so there was one of them that ended up getting a very, very large fish on it in the middle of the blizzard. And, nice. um after the blizzard, we decided we're going to pack it up. And so each person is prying the tip-ups off the ice. Usually we take about like 100 or so of them. <laughs> and my dad's over there, and he's prying this one up. It's more of a sturdy one, so it's hard. And then he pries it off, and then he's like, wait, there's some weight on this. And so he pulls it up, and there is this beautiful, 
large bass on it. And he gets it up, and it's about two-thirds out of the hole, right? And then the line snaps. Oh. And my uncle, who's like four yards off, he runs. He goes airborne. <laughs> <laughs> and he wedges the fish inside the hole and like scoops it out. <laughs> nice. And he uh, he oh, won. Awesome. There's a there's a competition up there in Cascade that year. He with that fish won for the largest fish single fish caught for the men's division for that week of the competition. Nice. Look at that. So that that was that was that's the story that has always stuck with me. My first fishing trip and. Our first ice fishing trip, which was very memorable and very enjoyable. So if you have some friends, go out there. You don't need the full ATV and stuff. But the tent is very nice, I will admit, to get a break. So you might want to buy one of those. And then the other thing that we regularly did is we you know, went very environmentally friendly and brought a, a gas-powered auger so that you could drill all those holes rather than a lot of guys mm-hmm. had, like, the manual ones and they're out there trying to go through – a foot or two of ice, which that mm-hmm. uh, that, that takes a bit when you're doing it manually. So uh, I'd recommend spending the money for having a gas one. But it, I think it's well worth the investment if you know you're regularly going to go up there and hang out with the guys and stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the entire podcast. I sincerely hope you found it enjoyable and valuable. If we missed any important points or provided incorrect information, please, please feel free to reach out via email at localyokelidaho2022 at gmail.com or on Twitter by tweeting us at localyokelidaho. With the small team we have here, we're not able to cover everything, but we do our best to cover the most interesting and important stories. Thank you for your continued support and assistance. That's all for now, and I wish you a fantastic rest of your week. Godspeed.